Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on stolen Garner land. We are in the Adelaide Plains area and just want to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Today, we are going to be discussing... A pop culture phenomenon (laughs) that has various forms, none of which are movies or musicals, hence it falling into the third category. So That's a real catch-all third category. It sure is. It kind of gives us free reign to do anything, but also this is our podcast. We do what we like. (laughs) So today we're going to be diving into a new Netflix series that is based on a 1980s book series that is sort of steeped in a lot of nostalgia because today we're going to be talking about the babysitters club the babysitters and i'm so excited (laughs) episode wide spoiler alert we're going to be talking about all 10 episodes that are currently on netflix uh in july 2020 there might be more if you're listening to this as a back episode uh but if you've not finished the first 10 episodes yet and you don't want any spoilers then maybe wait until you've finished it. But they're only in 10 episodes. They're like half an hour long. Like Easy. Just, I watched it in a week. Just finish them. Just they're really it. good. They're good. Now, uh, Mim, what, what is your relationship with the Babysitter's Club coming into the Netflix special? Special? Series. So I read a lot of the books as a kid. Definitely not all of them because there were so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, anytime as a kid I went to a secondhand book sale, I would just scour the shelves and there would always be a babysitters club book that I didn't have because there were so (laughs) many of them. You didn't have to read them chronologically because you kind of knew the characters. And also something that I loved about them was always on the back cover. It showed you like who was the president and who was the secretary and who was the treasurer and all their different roles, like at any given point, because across the series, like they added new members and people Mm -hmm. left and people changed roles. So, um, that was like how you kept up. You're like, where am I in the in the chronology? Okay, this is who everyone's role is. No worries. Uh, according to Wikipedia, um, Anne M. Martin wrote the first 36 novels. 36. Uh, but the subsequent novels were written by ghostwriters. So there are more than 36 of those books out there. I definitely didn't read all of them as a kid, <laughs> but I read a lot of them and I loved them. Mm-hmm. And I especially loved Mallory. She was, like, my favourite character. And she only makes a small appearance in the Netflix series because she Mm -hmm. was, like, one of the later editions. But I remember Mallory being my favourite. Okay. Whereas I had the exact opposite. I, I like, knew that the Babysitter's Club existed in the sense of, like, the book was on the shelf at the library or something like that. Uh, But I've I've never read any of them. My first exposure to any of the stories or anything or the characters uh, was this Netflix series. 
And the cool thing about the Netflix series is while it definitely pays homage to the books, like it's updated, it's set in 2020 mm-hmm. or 2019, I presume is when it was filmed because God knows not a lot's being filmed in 2020. <laughs> uh, but it's it's updated, it's, it's modern, like they have phones and stuff. Except I love that they are like, we've got a landline and that's... <laughs> Like this, that's a gimmicky yeah. thing. We had to like order it specially because nowhere it was has from an any. Etsy store. Yeah. <laughs> because you know it was sort of ruined the whole concept of having the meetings and having this one phone line that people called. Yeah, if it was like just text us. No, <laughs> I, I like the nostalgia of that. They they combine uh, really well that kind of like nostalgic. Here are the holdovers from the original book and updating and contemporizing it in a really like nice balanced way Mm. but the cool thing about updating it and setting it in modern day is that it can speak to a lot of current contemporary issues Mm -hmm. and holy shit it does that so well (laughs) it's it's there is so much packed into those so there are 10 episodes of the series um, I assume there will be another one because look, there are thirty-six books to go off of. And... Exactly, you've got plenty of stories yeah. to tell, um, but they fit so much and so many di- different and diverse issues mm. into into that. Uh, like Ellis earlier in the year went through a Glee phase, <laughs> and I I don't understand it because I've never gotten into Glee. But I sent him this tweet, which was something to the effect of Glee was revolutionary because it tackled so many issues and did none of them well. <laughs> And I feel like this is the exact opposite. <laughs> like, they, they pack so much in and every topic that they dive into is done so respectfully and so tactfully mm. and really beautifully. Well, before we get started into into what all those topics are and how they do it, let's talk about our... We've, we've got a list of our top five favourite non-feminist things because this feminist podcast doesn't have enough non-feminist content. <laughs> And also, we're just going to be praising this show, <laughs> and I guess by extension the books, um, for how good the feminism is for the rest of the episode. Hot take? Probably going to be a very positive review. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, this is our top five things that aren't feminist that are still fantastic yeah. about the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> uh, number five. Alicia Silverstone's in this? Like, I, I knew nothing coming into that. When she appeared on screen, I was like, what? Alicia Silverstone? And she is delightful. She's so good. And they make a bunch of clueless jokes. Oh, yeah, like, my mum wasn't totally clueless. And I was like, ah! And uh, Claudia, I think, wears the iconic uh, suit from oh Clueless Oh, my God, I did not point. notice that. That's awesome, the yellow one. Yeah, the yellow one. Oh. Oh, she she wears that I, th- I think in one of the cafeteria scenes or something. I did not remember that. Which is so oh, I didn't just, notice it. So like Alicia Silverstone, pros to you. You're amazing. I literally like was ten minutes into the first episode, being like, "Why do I recognize you? Who are you?" <laughs> and then I figured it out, and I was like, "Embarrassed." It's Batgirl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright. She doesn't want people to remember she was Batgirl either. Great. That was a bad Great. film. What's number four on our list, Min? So I am obsessed with the scene where Marianne meets uh, Lane? Lane, yeah, and they're in their cabin, and she's like putting up her Hamilton poster, and she and Lane are talking about Broadway, and then they shit on cats, <laughs> <laughs> and it's—I don't even remember what the context is, but oh, it's about the curse, 
and about how the the ghost oh, or the yeah, yeah, curse yeah. or something doesn't like show tunes. And one of us like, well, yeah, if it's cats, can't blame them. <laughs> like, and I am obsessed with that. In just and and all throughout it, because Marianne is a big musical theater person, and there's just lots of little like theater references. Another character starts singing into the woods. Oh yeah, at some point. Yeah. Um and and there's like you know like like be more chill posters in in Marianne's new bedroom and just a lot of little theater nods, which is theater nerds yeah. as we are. Um, is just it's just really wholesome. And, and also nice. when they're holding the auditions, and I think it's David Michael like goes on and does something stupid, and they're like, oh, we need boys. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any theater kid's gonna be like, oh yeah, that's. <laughs> That's true. Do you identify as male? Great. You're in. That's why you've got a career in That's, exa- that's exactly why I've got a career. Uh, number three on our list is... So, I mean, uh, this series deals with a lot of issues, and one of the issues that it deals with is uh, Christie's mother remarrying. And as soon as they brought up the fact that there was, like, going to be a stepfather introduced into the family, I immediately got, like, warning bells because I'm like, oh, is he going to be, like, not a very nice person? And the whole thing is going to be like, oh, we've got to make our mother realize that mm. the stepfather isn't good for her and he's just, like, too much of a dick. So it's like, well, why would anybody like him in the first place? And I'm just really – I found it really refreshing that they – didn't know mm. that he's just like he's like he's a nice dude. guy he's a good dude he's he's obviously like trying to to get to know uh his new family and is just like seems like like a decent person and he and christy like have their issues to work on sure but like that's good development i'm just yeah i'm just really glad that they didn't go with the obvious evil step parent right yeah but he's in the books and, oh wonderful and you originally see them having teething problems and you see it work out throughout. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Watson. Watson. Good just, bloke. Just really... Very, very good example of positive masculinity. Positive masculinity. Yeah, that's what we want. Yeah. But also, like, don't buy your stepkid a car. <laughs> we'll get to, We'll come back to that. I mean, we'll maybe not a BMW. That. Maybe not a BMW. But we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Anyway. Okay, I just want to rant about how much... Okay, this is number two, by the way, on our list. I want to rant about how much I love the costumes, especially everything that Claudia wears Mm -hmm. and everything that Stacey wears. Like, just sick costumes. And, like, like Claudia's, um, like, eye makeup at the wedding, especially, is Mm. just really cool and interesting designs. Yeah, they're so... like, And I like that each of them have their own style. Especially as Marianne like gets more freedom in what she can wear and like how she wants to mm-hmm. express herself. Like the costumes are great. Like I wanna raid Claudia's closet, even <laughs> though like none of it would fit me because she's a tiny teenager and I'm a fully grown woman. But even still. Uh, number one on our list of non feminist things. Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> For context that's neither the actor's name nor is it his character's <laughs> name in this series. We're talking about uh, Mark Evan Jackson, who uh, plays Marianne's father. But more importantly, plays Kevin, Captain Holt's husband in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, hence calling him Kevin. He, he's also Sean in the good, uh, place. the good Place. He's been in a bunch of things and he always plays the same kind yep. of character and he's always phenomenal. 
And, like, if that was your speaking voice, like, if you had the capacity to make that your speaking voice and have that, like, really dry, deadpan humor, why wouldn't you do it in every role that you play? Oh, he's just so funny. And, like, everything... And, it's like, this is... Like, the role is a bit different to, to Kevin, whatever, you know? He gets to show his, like, his vulnerable side. Because yeah. he's, like, trying to look after his his daughter. Yeah. And, and, and there's, like, single a whole, parent. Single parent, like... He's trying to... Of, awkwardly reconnect with his high school romance yeah there's a lot in there but oh he's just so good at everything and i love him kevin so thank you mark mark evan jackson Jackson. or should i say mark kevin jackson so anyway we're going to talk about the feminism (laughs) in the babysitters club uh (laughs) so Something that I really love about this show, and we were reading an article that kind of summarized this before, um, it's just the fact that feminism is so the norm mm-hmm. in this um, in this story. Like it's just so it's assumed knowledge. It's assumed that everyone there is an intersectional feminist, and that's groovy. Yeah, uh, but we were we were reading this article. Uh, it's from Medium.com. It's called The Babysitter's Club Gives Us Intersectional Feminism Without the Angst. And it's written by Sadie Doyle. And it's a really interesting article, uh, but the the quote that kind of stood out to us was uh, this one. It says, The Babysitter's Club doesn't aim to teach kids a lesson so much as it assumes intersectional feminism is already part of how they navigate the world. Mm. And it kind of goes on to talk about how uh, Gen Zers in particular are more likely to be open to to all of these issues they're more likely to come out as gender non-binary for example or um or to question the patriarchy mm. or to be more accepting of of queer marriage like gen z is just kind of like more likely to yeah. be like that and this is a show that speaks to them yeah who don't necessarily have to learn about all these things uh, it's just part of their everyday because it's been normalized yeah. to them it's so cool to me and I almost think that that's a more effective way of um, of normalizing feminism and normalizing intersectionality is rather than being like, this is what it is, to just demonstrate it rather mm-hmm. than being didactic about it. Uh, I mean, there is a time and place for that, absolutely. But yeah. just kind of um, normalizing it by showing it through your media. And and I think normalizing is probably the prime takeaway that I get from the Babysitters Club. They do so much to normalize uh, a multitude of different uh, issues and perspectives uh, to kind of just like you know make sure that people get to see their stories represented. Mm. Something that I really love is how Alicia Silverstone's character, mm-hmm. Christie's mum. I don't remember the character's name, but she has one. She absolutely has one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also, we don't even need to go into a Bechdel test. Tick, 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 yep. tick. The vast majority yep. of scenes in this yep. pass the Bechdel test. Yep. Um, but I love that sh- this character, Christy's mum, makes so many jokes that are like, anti-feminist facetiously <laughs> like about how she's getting remarried and she'll make jokes about like oh yes but uh but now i i belong to him because mm. i'm marrying him i don't even i think i'm paraphrasing significantly but the, but the it's so obviously that it's a so it's obvious so, that it's a joke it's so obviously facetious mm-hmm. and i love that 
I love that moment where you get to the point that you are just living your life by your feminist values so clearly and so overtly to everyone. It's so integrally a part of who you are that the notion that you're not feminist is a joke. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, something that we do a lot of the time. (laughs) Like, my boyfriend and I have this running joke because he is also a raging feminist because sort of a prerequisite for dating me. Yeah. Um, we have this running joke where we're like, oh, well, have you asked me? The patriarchy doesn't go far enough. <laughs> um, which is funny because we're raging feminists. <laughs> not funny if you actually say that genuinely. That's yes, the... <laughs> not, we do not condone that kind of behaviour. No. Sarcasm and facetiousness, yes. 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 All of that. Uh, as everything, context, <laughs> subtext, nuance. But considering that this show opens with a conversation between Christy and Marianne about how Christy, like, spoke up in a classroom and was reprimanded Mm. about her decorum, whereas the boys behind her were, like, shoving things down their pants and making a bunch of noise and being disrespectful Mm -hmm. uh, and disruptive, and they they got away with it. Yeah. Like, that's how your show opens. That's what it lays the groundwork of. This is what the show is going to be. Yeah. And it just, like, keeps going from there. Yeah, it really, like, sets such a tone Mm -hmm. (laughs) of being like, this is what you can expect from this series. (laughs) We're going to be tackling sexism and gender inequality the whole way through. But, like this article says, not in in an overt or... Um, angsty way, just mm-hmm. in a, it's it's normal. Everyone should care about this. Why yeah. why wouldn't you? Kind of way. And even just like the way it brings up topics, like um, one of the characters gets their first period mm. in the show, and it is so normalized. Yeah. And all the other girls kind of like rally around her and go, "Well, here's a pad. Here's how, here's you, how use you use it." it. Yeah, they they give like a, a definition or a description of how to use a yeah. menstrual pad in the show. Yeah. So even though it's not like sitting you down and saying, here is the lesson we are teaching you, young women or young people who experience periods are able to watch that and learn from their entertainment yeah. that, oh, okay, this one, this is how I use a menstrual pad, but two, oh, it's just, it's normal. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that happens and it's okay. Yeah. And that's wonderful. It's so good. Um, something that I really love about this show is that it is young women, like young teenagers. I think the actresses are like 13 and 14 who play the core group, um, are playing people their own age. So it's Mm -hmm. not like 17 and 18 year olds pretending to be 12 and 13, (laughs) um, like, a lot of other high school dramas. Like, look at Glee, where I think Corey Monteith was 30 when he started playing the 16-year-old Finn. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Um, So it's actually people actually playing their own age, and they're not remotely sexualized. No. In the the portrayal or in any way. They're just kids playing Mm -hmm. kids, being kids. (laughs) And you see so many issues that... um, like young people would experience like like the the struggle of introducing a step parent into your family yeah. or like being a child of divorce or mm-hmm. like having a single parent for example yeah. like and into friendship dramas and stuff yeah. you see all of these things that middle schoolers in the US or like early high schoolers in mm-hmm. Australia would experience but it never trivializes that yeah it's like this is a thing that 
you care about that's important to you that's going to happen to you and we're not just going to write it off as like oh it's a something kids deal with whatever get it's over the it kids. because like you know these issues are real to the kids that yeah. they are affecting yeah. and it it doesn't shy away from presenting that as as the real thing that they are mm. and this is a group of young women who are like freaking entrepreneurs yeah <laughs> they have seen a gap in the market They've gone, here is a service that we can provide that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how we can fill it. And entrepreneurs, young it's women, great. starting so a small great. business. So outstanding. This show is so feminist from the ground up, and it's also so intersectional mm. from the ground up. And I think it, it, it takes something from the books and utilizes it really well because each book, as far as I'm aware, has like a different narrator, depending mm. on, like, like, it'll be like Christie's Big Day. And yeah. that'll be uh, a book narrated by Christy or yeah. like, uh, Boy Mar- Crazy Stacy. Yeah. And that'll be narrated by Stacy. Yeah. Uh, Marianne Saves the Day. Yeah. That kind of thing. And uh, every episode uh, follows a similar naming, con- uh, naming convention and also shares the fact that the narrators are different yeah. every episode. And I think that is a really great tool for showcasing a lot of diverse life experiences mm-hmm. and allowing a wider subset of your audience to to find themselves reflected in your story. There was um, a tweet that I shared a little while ago, not on Twitter, I don't have Twitter, (laughs) Um, but I shared a screenshot of a tweet on Instagram because that's how social media works. And it is a tweet uh, from Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg who says... We need diverse representation, not only so every kid can see themselves as the hero of the story, but so that every kid can understand that other kinds of kids are also the heroes of the story. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that really summarizes what Babysitter's Club does so well, that it's not only diverse, but everyone is the lead character of their own story because from episode to episode or book to book, we see them being central and narrating and it also, like, it, it, it's a good way to utilize, like, a couple of mysteries. Like, for example, in episode one, uh, Christy isn't sure about Stacy because Stacy's the new girl. And Stacy's always kind of, like, making excuses and going places and saying that she'll be one place and then actually being in another place. And Christy's like, hmm, I wonder what this is about. And then when you get to Stacy's episode, you find out that she is diabetic and that she's been trying to hide it from from her friends because she's had bad experiences in the past mm. but having this like switch of narrators allows you to to kind of like raise you know, raise questions in one perspective and then answer them in another yeah. and it's the same with uh with like dawn not knowing why christy is like reacting badly to to a lot of stuff about people's dads mm. to then learn that christy's dad uh, abandoned her when she was a child and she doesn't have a very good relationship with them and so it's a really good way to kind of like teach not only the characters in the story but the people watching that everybody has their own hmm. stuff everybody has their own perspectives everyone yeah. has their own issues and you have to be able to to accommodate and and accept that yeah people are multifaceted yeah and you can see it from both sides yeah episode to episode so good real clever I also something that I think really helps in that regard too is the fact that it goes without saying, and I don't think it is said, but it's just so inherent in the fabric of this show that every one of the girls in the babysitters club is like a mini feminist. Yeah. Not even a mini feminist. They're just feminists. Yeah. It's great. Um, But I think it really showcases that 
there's no one way to be a feminist Mm -hmm. and there's no one way to be a cool, capable young person. Yeah. Um, because of the diversity amongst them. That was really exemplified for me in the, I think it's the last episode of the first season anyway, where um, Marianne says something to the effect of like, oh, I didn't know if I could be a leader because I'm not bossy like Christy. And Logan's like, yeah, but you're bossy like Marianne. And I also also really like that Bossy isn't used negatively It's got a there. positive connotation. It's got a positive connotation. Yeah. Because so, so many uh, young women in particular are like shut down by saying, oh, she's just bossy. Mm-hmm. When really sh- what she's doing is showing leadership skills yeah. and being assertive. Yeah. And if those uh, traits were being showcased by a man, you would be praising him for it. But because it's a woman, she's bossy. Yeah. And the fact that they kind of reclaim that word. Like, yeah, like so good. Christy is a bossy person and she owns it and everybody's like, yeah, that's just yeah. You know, that's who and she that's is and that's cool. And that's why she has the capability to be the president of the yeah. Babysitter's Club. Also, just as a side note, I identify with Christy so strongly. I was watching these episodes <laughs> and I'd just be like texting Mim and I'd just be like, this is you. Like there, there was a line where Marianne's just like, you just gotta, you just gotta get better at answering your texts. <laughs> And I'm like, Mim, this is you. <laughs> Can't text back, Mim <laughs> But also just, um, the, there was one line where they got to camp and Christy's like, hi, Christy Thomas, president of the Babysitter's Club. And I was like, hi, Millicent Sarr, co-host of Feminism Ruins Everything, the yes. feminist podcast. But also when the camp leader is like, you've just got to chill. Like, do I have any responsibilities? And she's like, um, can I at least be president of my cabin? Yeah. I was like, why is this me? You have been child? represented on screen. Yeah. Well done. Because, you know, I don't see myself represented enough. You don't. You as really. an outspoken white woman. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, going back to this, like, different narrators, you get to see a lot of different perspectives, which also means that, you know, you get to tell these diverse stories. And I think that is is showcased both on and off screen. A lot of the people behind the scenes in terms of writing and directing, a lot of them are women. Uh, I'm pretty sure that every episode was either written by or co-written by a woman on staff. And uh, a lot of them are women of color. A lot of them are women of color. Uh, most of the episodes were directed by women. I think there's one that was directed by a man. There was definitely one where it came up directed by someone with a very masculine name. And I was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? But also nice that you're, you know, so on board with the feminism that you're directing it. Exactly. Because men need to be allies to feminism as well. But also (laughs) I like it when things are purely made by women. That's fun to me. And I think I think this comes down to the fact that it was created by, or the show was created by, uh, Rachel uh, Schuchert. Mm-hmm. She was the the showrunner and the main writer, and uh, you can kind of see that this is a very you know it's a story about young women and having women behind it yeah. is really great. And having diverse women in your creative team means that you can tell stories. Um, like for example, the, especially when your cast is so diverse and you're trying yes. to represent a number of culturally and racially diverse women. Yes, like the the show's received praise for the fact that it showcases a, a Japanese American household with um, with the kind of nuances that a Japanese mm-hmm. Japanese American household would be would have in real life. For example, all the characters take their shoes off. Yeah, when they enter into the house because yeah. that's just 
how it would My be. Japanese friend posted about it and she was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for showing that people take their shoes off in Japanese households. <laughs> but also, in, in the cool thing about these Claudia episodes is that she isn't uh, a stereotype. No. She isn't showcased the way that most... Asian Americans would be presented on screen. She's she's an, uh, a very like passionate artist, and she she cares a lot about like the arts and and being emotions and creativity. Uh, and she's bad at math, mm. which goes against the Asian stereotype. The Asian stereotype, which is really lovely. But also, I guess, literally by virtue of the fact that, that she is a very multifaceted character, and you see her perspective, and you see her storyline, and her mm-hmm. wants and desires. She's not going to be a stereotype because you've given her a fully fledged personality. Exactly. So even if she was was good at maths, she would still have other elements yeah. of her character to to counteract. But also, like in her episodes, they take the time to educate the character and, in some ways, the audience mm. about the history that Japanese Americans have had in yes. America. The, the, there's a whole monologue where. Claudia's older sister is telling her about the Japanese internment camps Mm -hmm. that occurred in the United States in World War II. Uh, Like, that was a thing that happened. I literally didn't know about that, which Mm. is shameful on my part. But Babysitter's Club literally taught me that that happened. (laughs) And and I think it's it's so great that not only are they educating, you know, children who are Mm. watching this show, like the the target demographic, they're doing it in a way that kind of like explains this quite horrific element of American history. Turns out a lot of elements of American history are quite horrific uh, when you think about it. But being able to explain it to your young audience Mm. in a way that carries the the gravity of the the historical significance of that but does it in a way that they will understand yeah. and appreciate. And it, but it's not its not condescending. No. It's explained in a way that is accessible without you being spoken down to. Yeah. And and I think I think that is a really good way of describing how Babysitter's Club handles all the issues that it raises. It's not condescending, but it explains it in a clear way that everybody understands. It's not glee. It's not glee! It tackles issues and does them well. <laughs> oh, glee. Another huge change is that they um, they diversify some of the characters mm-hmm. from the books. Yeah. So in this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The books of the five original characters, well, I guess Dawn doesn't come in for a couple of episodes, but like of Dawn, Stacey, Christy, Marianne, and Claudia, mm-hmm. uh, in the books, Claudia is the only woman of color. Mm-hmm. Basically, so both Marianne and Dawn were 
white in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it actually specifies. Uh, it, it might in the um, in the text itself, but they were very like detailed cover arts where you could tell which character was which, and like Marianne and Stacey were both white. <laughs> uh, but now in this, in the Netflix version. Marianne is black. She's played by Malia Baker. Mm-hmm. And in... Well, she's biracial. And Dawn is Latina. And she's played by Sochi Gomez. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that means that of the five original members of the Babysitter's Club, four-ish, but five, including Dawn, only two of them are white. Yeah. Like... As opposed to four in and, the books. Yeah, with Claudia yeah. being Japanese. So... How often do you see that? How often do you look at a... I think the only other example that I can think of is another very recent Netflix series, which was Never Have I Ever, mm-hmm. that um, Mindy Culling wrote oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. produced. But, yeah, the fact that the white women in the core cast are in the minority, mm. that's very cool. It's so it's so cool. And just also just reflective of the world around us. Yeah, we, 100%. We live in a very diverse world. Can we have that reflected on our screens, please? Mm. And it's so fantastic that not only are we seeing it on the screen, that it's happening behind the scenes as well. Yes. So it's not just a tokenistic thing. Exactly. Of like, oh, well, we need to just put in a few people of colour to, to make it look like we're diverse. <laughs> but no, they're actually, there are people of colour telling the stories of yeah. these characters. Another really cool thing about the fact that a different character narrates each episode mm-hmm. is that it then, I kind of almost expected this to happen pessimistically and then was happy when it didn't. The fact that Marianne, I feel, could have very much fallen into the black best friend trope yeah. of her sort of, especially because she's like, she's shy and she's softly spoken mm-hmm. uh, compared to her very bombastic, very outspoken friend in Christy. Yeah. Um, so in the first episode, she talks about how she wants to be secretary and people are like, Oh my God, that's the most I've ever heard her talk that she mm-hmm. is um, portrayed as being quite shy. So if the story were centered around Christy, she so easily could have fallen into the, Oh, well she's got a black friend, yeah. Marianne, but then, we actually get to see Marianne's perspective and we get to see her being the lead in her stories. Mm -hmm. And we also see so much growth from her. Oh, so much growth. She's like... Stand up for herself. She stands up for herself and also for other disenfranchised people, Mm. which I think is a good segue to lead into the way that the show handles queer representation. Spoiler. Well... (laughs) Very well is how they do it. Uh, on on one hand, they they kind of normalize a lot. There are multiple uh, queer couples, uh, kind of just in in the, in the periphery. Yeah, uh, there are no outwardly queer characters within our main cast yet. yet. Uh, but also, who knows? Um, yeah, they they're only like young teenagers. They're they're yet to fully explore their sexuality. Exactly. Who, who, knows who knows what time will bring? Could happen. Also, mm-hmm. um, side note, we read an article before and I was shook in the best way that Anne N. Martin, who wrote the original series, is queer. Yeah. So, like, surely. <laughs> surely one of the Babysitter's Club is queer. We can only help. But Season two, bring it. There are multiple uh, same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawn's father 
uh, the reason that her parents got divorced was that her father realized he was gay and now lives with his his male partner, and mm-hmm. they have a really lovely relationship with that. I think there are a couple of parents who they babysit for who are same-sex couples. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, the one of the boys that Marianne and Stacy meet on their trip to the beach is like, oh, yeah, this guy that I had a crush on in theatre camp, and it's just so normal. It's so normal. It's so just, like, part of the world. It's lived in. Mm. And, and, you know, they, they like, acknowledge that this exists, but they don't feel like they need to like point at it and go, look at the queerness mm. that happens. How weird is it? No, it's no, just like... It's, it's normal. It's, it's, it's just, just normal. there because it's a part of normal life. Exactly. Yeah. They do have an episode, however, that deals very directly with uh, a transgender child. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's Marianne's big episode. Marianne saves the day. Marianne saves the day. Uh, where she is babysitting a trans girl Bailey Bailey uh, who is played by Kai Shapley who, who uh, is trans who is trans who is a trans girl and I believe was there was a documentary made about her yes um, because she's awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> and also just about how it's unusual unfortunately that trans kids have the opportunity to express themselves as their true selves so early in their life Mm -hmm. um, for many reasons. reasons. Um, But the fact that she was very aware of her gender early on in her life and she had a family who helped her express herself in Mm -hmm. that way, I think that's what what I assume the documentary is about. I have not seen it. I should. I will go find it. Should we'll put it on the list of, of things to watch? Mm. Uh, but there is a moment where uh, Bailey uh, gets a fever and is sick, and Marianne has to call an ambulance, and they arrive in the hospital. And at that point, the doctors come in, and because they are looking at Bailey's medical chart and her rather medical history at her. rather than at her, uh, they start misgendering her. Yeah, and at that point. Marianne stands up and she's like, can we talk outside, please? Uh, and then delivers one of the, like, the best takedowns... Mm, of that, transphobia? Of, that I've ever seen. It's incredible. She's, she's just like, if you, if you look at that girl in there, you will realise that you are wrong. You will stop this immediately and you will find a robe that is not blue <laughs> because she is not comfortable. And the doctors take the time and listen to that and go, oh, okay, we are sorry. Yeah. Won't happen again. And not only is it a great character moment for Marianne, yeah. but it su- sends such a great message to anybody watching it. That, like, this is how you deal with this. Mm-hmm. And you shut that shit down. Yeah, be an you, ally to You be an ally, you stand up for them, and it's oh, it's it's so, so good. So good. And then Kevin's there, <laughs> and he sees Marianne deliver this one. Oh. Some of my favourite things in this episode are... A, the really clear um, exhibiting of how to be a good trans ally yeah. when someone is misgendered or mm-hmm. dead named, which I don't think happens because I assume from context that Bailey was always her name. I think so. Uh, but I also really love the fact that Dawn is talking to Marianne about Bailey being transgender and is like, well, how do you know that you're 
right-handed. Like if people made you write with your left hand, it would be awkward and uncomfortable and you'd always just want to write with your right hand Mm -hmm. as a way to explain how Bailey knows that she's a girl. And even though it's a really oversimplified explanation, it's a a great one. And it'd be, again, one of those examples of people watching who aren't necessarily particularly educated about trans issues or the trans Mm -hmm. experience, watching that and being like, oh, yeah, that... That makes sense. It's a really good analogy. <laughs> and and it's also a great way to kind of like quash that argument that a lot of conservative people go. It's like, well, what am I supposed to tell my kids this? That, yeah. You tell them what it is in a very easy, simple way to explain it and they'll be able to understand because mm. it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I think is fantastic, I mean, I... I don't think this should be celebrated. I think this should be the norm. Mm -hmm. But it is the fact that you have a transgender girl playing a transgender girl. Yes. Which is so important because if you cast cis people in trans roles, that's problematic for a multitude of reasons. One thing that we... This is speculation. We have a feeling that the way that they shot the scene in which the, the doctors misgender Bailey, we believe that it was shot in a way that Kai didn't have to be in the room while the misgendering occurred. Because you never see a doctor say him or, like, little man in the same shot as you see Kai playing Bailey. Yes. So what I assume has happened is they've shot all of the reactions of Marianne and Bailey, Mm -hmm. and they have been like, okay, Bailey, thanks, thanks very much. We're now going to do the transphobic bit. Uh, you don't have to be present for this um, because that would be that'd be tough mm. for a, a trans kid to hear somebody misgender them, even if they're acting. Yeah, uh, like there's a very deliberate pan up. So there's a shot of of Bailey lying in the bed, and then they pan up to see the the, the doctor or the the nurse or whoever has come in to to talk, and you can see the pillow on the bed. You cannot see anybody lying in the bed, mm. which you know gives them wiggle room to kind of like slip out. And the, there is a line where there's a shot of Bailey, and the word he is used in in reference to her, but you never see whoever's saying that. So, so the that audio could, be... could have been added in post. Exactly. Yeah. And and we just want to highlight that that seems like a really good way of filming these scenes. Like we are speculating. Yes, she it is might have been there, but it's. We we specifically went back and looked to see whether you could definitely see her in the shot, and I and I think you would have seen her in the shot if yes, the way that those shots were constructed uh, seemed very purposeful, very purposeful in order to protect yeah. her, mm. and that's really commendable because yeah. if you are going to address these things, you have to do it with the safety of your performers in mm. mind. And any steps that you can take to protect those performers, particularly young performers, you need to take them. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of uh, in Orange is the New Black, where Laverne Cox um, plays a trans woman, and she is a trans woman. Um, But Orange is the New Black uses a lot of flashbacks, and you see... Um, her character, I feel really bad that I don't remember her name. I used to be obsessed with Orange is the New Black. You see Laverne Cox's character before she, when she still presented masculine, but the actor who plays the older version 
of her is her twin brother. <laughs> like, how convenient is that? <laughs> but also it shows that the creators uh, didn't want to put Laverne Cox through the potentially dangerous mm. uh, task of having to... Present masculine. Present masculine. And I, I would imagine that they wouldn't have even considered that idea had, had Laverne not... Cox not had a twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> had they not had that option. Yeah. Yeah. So again... It, if you are going to be telling these stories, and I think it is very important that these stories are told, uh, it's really good to see shows taking care uh, and, and protecting their trans performers. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's true of if you tell the story of any person that belongs to a marginalised group, that yeah. you have their safety in mind. Yeah. So I think that something else that is brought up and handled quite well is the discussion of like class issues Mm -hmm. and um wealth inequality well not wealth inequality but like economic privilege i think that is um touched upon and handled quite well yeah i don't think it's handled quite as well as you do but let's let's discuss it so i think there are Two key examples that I can think of throughout the series. The first being that um, Alicia Silverstone. (laughs) (laughs) should work out what Christy's mum's name is. She's Alicia Silverstone. Um, Alicia Silverstone is marrowing. Marrowing. Marrow is what brings us together. Um, Is marrying Watson Brewer. Oh, I remember the man's name. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but he's not famous enough to have a distinct name yeah. of his own. Also, they talk about Watson all the time, whereas they refer to Alicia Silverstone as mum. Uh, so <laughs> they're getting married, and he is um, significantly more well-off financially yeah. than um, Christie's mum and her four kids with a single mother. Mm-hmm. And how... That means that she's she's marrying. Ma- Why do I keep saying that? Marrowing. <laughs> she's marrying into wealth, and how mm-hmm. that is going to create a lot of lifestyle changes for her, and how she's um, kind of grappling with how to not make that change who she is because mm-hmm. she um, obviously is a very principled woman and has a lot of strong core values, and she doesn't want and also Christy at the same time like is the same mm-hmm. in that she doesn't want to um change who she, who she is when she comes into money yeah and and they're also very like independent and individuals and and Alicia Silverstone uh, does a really good job at kind of like instilling to to Christy especially that she needs to be able to to look after herself mm. and be independent. Yes. Uh, because sometimes your husband runs out on you and deserts you with four kids, which uh, don't do that. Um, <laughs> preferably. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, she kind of like she has this like instilled into her her daughter in particularly and and when because she's her favorite. Yeah. I like says when that. she says that. But, but if you say it to your brother, I'll deny it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very clear that that's yeah. the case. Uh, but I... Well, if I had four kids and I had one daughter, she would absolutely be my favourite. <laughs> you heard it here first, Mim's potential future kids. Please don't listen to this, kids. <laughs> ah! Anyway. <laughs> my, my issue with that is I think, I think those issues are handled well in the episode in which... Uh, 
they're getting married and uh, Watson is kind of like spending money quite frivolously on her kids like he goes out and uh, her oldest son is supposed to have saved up for a car and get like a second hand kind of beat up thing but he worked for it and he earned it and Watson just goes out and buys him a new BMW mm. and uh, Christy doesn't feel comfortable in the the dress picked for her for the wedding so Watson's just like well we'll just get another one it's like it's $800 and this causes Alicia Silverstone to to freak out a bit because she's like oh my kids are are becoming privileged little shit yeah unlearning (laughs) all the things that I've I've taught them which thankfully isn't the case but I don't think the show handles it that well because I never got the sense that they were economically underprivileged before right their house seems like really kind of like nice middle class yeah uh all the other families seem to come from like an upper middle class household their neighborhood is very very upper middle class very lush and so they're in connecticut yeah connecticut's pretty (laughs) pretty nice Uh, and so so to have there was a line in the the wedding episode where it's just like a year ago my mum was fighting with the 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 power and the water companies to keep the lights on and now she's marrying a, a millionaire or, or whatever it is uh, and I never got that feeling from anything mm. else in the other episodes so I think that while like it raises some good points about what happens you know you need to have your fundamental beliefs in terms of money and you need to be independent and you can't be overprivileged like all yeah. of that stuff and I think you it can't handles just, well like find a wealthy husband life sorted yeah tick. <laughs> but i also don't think that it covers class issues mm. that well because we don't see anything lower than middle class represented until we get to the final two episodes <gasps> yes where they go camping or they go to the camp and uh as part of the camp in order to do some of the more cool activities you need to have money like you need to have 50 bucks for a t-shirt so that you can tie dye it or you need 100 bucks to go horse riding or whatever it is and so you have a whole bunch of these kids on this camp who can't afford to do the activities and that's where it gets good about discussing class issues Mm. and what is more is not only does it do like Dawn and Claudia especially go, this is unfair. Everyone should have the same access to the same activities. This is a utopian mm-hmm. uh, society in this, in this camp scenario. Yeah. Um, so they freaking protest. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Like, these kids are so cool. They rebel <laughs> so hard. They build a barricade. <laughs> Very lame is. Very lame is. Yeah. It helps that there's a musical going yeah, on absolutely. behind them as yeah. well. Um, so I think it's really cool about the idea that, um, like Dawn literally uses the phrase civil disobedience to incite change. My only criticism is that the protest doesn't seem to quite incite the change that they wanted. Mm. It sort of, it felt a little bit wishy-washy in like there's this huge protest and then it comes to a head and then she's like, okay, fine, you can be counsellors in training. And they're like, okay, cool, We're, we've been appeased. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. But then I guess Claudia but, can still run her free art classes. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think the, they were protesting the fact that there aren't free opportunities. Mm. Uh, and so by becoming 
counselors in training they were able to run the free yeah. activities and they also make so many points about making arts accessible yeah and when uh when claudia is on the mic and it's like oh yeah and um we need to have a society with that needs radical empathy that only the arts can provide <laughs> and i'm like oh you're yes. speaking my language <laughs> Uh, but but it's it's true. I mean, there are so many art forms. I mean, we are huge musical theater lovers, and it's no you secret. You couldn't tell from our <laughs> feminist podcast where we talk about musicals ninety percent of the time. Literally everything about us. Um, but uh, musical theater is a really expensive yeah. art form and is inaccessible in more ways than one. And one of them is financially inaccessible. Yeah. And so, one of the things we have to kind of grapple with as musical theater lovers is. How can we make this more accessible to people? Because that's what art needs to be. Yeah. And not only consuming it, hmm. but also being a part of it. Yeah. Because in order to get to a level where you're going to be taken on to A, train or B, perform professionally, you need to have started freaking dance classes when you were five years old. And yeah. you need to have done like $500 youth productions. Mm-hmm. In your teenage years. And so it's not only inaccessible to, like, watch, but also to perform in. Yeah. To, not even at a professional level, but just for kids that want to be in shows. Like, it's very like it's expensive. <laughs> like, let the kids have fun doing the fun things. And by having a group of of strong children kind of stand up and say this is wrong we are taking a stand mm. about this like this is the climax of your first the, presumably the first season of this show okay hopefully long running <laughs> and what you're utilizing it for is to say the arts need to be for everyone and we are gonna make that stand here and now and mm. i think that's so oh and again it's, so it's, good. it's setting such a good example to young people that if you see injustice happening you can instigate change through protest and that has like, been ah. <laughs> that has been uh kind of like carried over uh to the the lives of the the young actors who mm. portray the the babysitters club yeah. i mean i think it is just true of the actors who they are as people that that's something yes. that they exhibit in their own lives yeah uh another article we were reading uh, this is from the washington post uh, the Babysitter's Club was always progressive. Now Netflix's version is empowering a new generation. That's the article. Uh, that opens with descriptions of the young actors protesting. Yeah. Like, here is what this person did at a protest. This is the message that this person put on their Instagram page. Here are all the, the ways that they're activists. It just like open. That's how you open the article. And it's so good to see not only that the art that they're in is kind of like reflecting what we what society should be like and what young people should be like but that the actors themselves mm. are carrying that through and enacting that in their own lives so cool i, I wish was... I, I wish i was that cool when i was their age like 100 <laughs> percent. like a part of me i know that they're like inheriting all the climate issues and that they're things are a bit messed up right now but a part of me is like a little bit jealous of gen z that this is the world that they're growing up with in terms of how progressive some elements of life are not that i particularly suffered at the hands of injustice as a privileged upper middle class child uh growing up but 
it's really cool that feminism and intersectionality is so normal yeah. for the next generation. And even though these things might have been present in the original novels, in the time in which they were written, they weren't like a societally normal thing at all. And so the fact that these ideas that I'm assuming were always present in the original books are able to take a step forward and be the focus of the show uh, really demonstrates how far we have progressed as a a society. Like, I... I definitely think that the books were probably progressive for the 1980s, Mm -hmm. but they definitely weren't as overt as it is now. But, you know, progressive has shifted by a 2020 standard, as you would hope that it would. Yeah. There are so many things that this show covers. We haven't even, like, touched on the fact that it destigmatizes chronic illness. Or it highlights the realities of abandonment issues and the the strains that divorce can have on children like there are so many things that this show covers well and covers well in 10 25 minute episodes Mm. it's so well done i love it i hope they make more i will watch it i hope they make more as well i think just we need more shows like this particularly for that age group so that they can you know you get to you get to learn things and you get to see the world reflected in in such a positive way and and i think it's cool because it's almost like they've got two particular target demographics one being the next generation who are seeing kids their age in these stories but the other and i fall into this category <laughs> of people who are like like millennials gen exes who read these books growing up and now have nostalgia for them and go back mm-hmm. and watch them reimagined which is very cool it's real cool yeah it's real good and I, I yeah i hope they go and i hope they make more of it i hope i hope they run for years and years yeah. and i hope that more up-and-coming tv shows take um like continue what babysitters club are doing of just really normalizing intersectional feminism yeah it's very cool. It's real cool. So, do we even have to ask? Are we going to rate or ruin the Babysitters Club Netflix series? We are absolutely going to rate it. <laughs> it's so good when when your opening scene is about a character talking about how unfairly she's treated compared to how the boys are treated in yeah. class. I'm like, yep, done for this. Yep, this is my jam. So ready. <laughs> so good. So yeah, what what check it out? It's on Netflix now. Seriously, do it. Um, ten episodes, real simple, really easily, really wholesome yeah. entertainment as well. Like really easily digestible as well. Yeah. Like raises issues in a way that is so non-confrontational. Yeah, like it's not hard hitting, and that's kind of the beauty of it. It's normalizing. Yeah, it normalizes all these things, and that's really beautiful. So wholesome. Yeah, watch it with your kids if you have kids. Um, watch it without kids if you don't have kids that's what I did (laughs) same yeah yeah my kids where I love my daughter more (laughs) those ones yeah I hope that podcasts don't exist if I ever have children no I'm just kidding go back and listen to this yeah if if I ever have children by the time that they're old enough to listen to podcasts I'll be like purposefully skip the babysitters club one please (laughs) but also remember 26 year old Mom, 
<laughs> didn't know you then. She didn't realize that she would love you equally. Winks at daughter. Uh, <laughs> Ellis, if somebody else would like to get in touch with us to tell us how much they enjoyed The Babysitter's Club uh, on well, Netflix, how can they do that? Uh, well, they can call us up on, the, on our Etsy phone, <laughs> or they can go to uh, Facebook, where search for our page. We are Feminism Ruins Everything dash It's a Feminist Podcast. Sure is. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Or if you have enjoyed our content and would like to support us financially, you can become a patron to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Feminism Ruins Everything pod, and you can find, you know, we, we, we upload the cover art there uh, a little bit early. Uh, you get, like, bloopers and little extra things that we've done to tag up there. So you get a little bit of extra content. Yeah. Um, and if you donate uh, $10 a month, you get to pick an episode. Yes! Uh, we have had our first $10 uh, pledge, so we are in communication with them to try and figure out what that episode is going to be. So Very keep an, exciting. So keep an ear out for that in the future. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to us gush about how feminist the Babysitter's Club is. Go watch it. Okay, bye, friends. Bye. Feminism ruins everything. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.